Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 24th episode of Crime Over Wine, the only podcast with head-scratching true crime stories that are just better over a bottle of wine. I'm your host, Liam Collins, and my guest co-host this week is being shipped in all the way from the city of brotherly love, a true Northeastern gal with some Southern roots, too. My guest co-host this week is Morgan Shearer. Hello, Morgan. How are you? So good to see your face. Hi, Liam. It's so good to see your face after all these years. I know. Uh, right. So Morgan and I first met, like, what, like, probably almost, like, three, four, five years ago, almost at this point. Three, four, five, one of those. <laughs> oh, gosh. I don't even want to think about how long. But we were both communication students at Elon University in Elon, North Carolina. And now Morgan is a project manager at CDI in New York. And Morgan, you're just telling me a little bit about what you do. And frankly, it's, like, a little over my head. So, like, just tell me, like, tell everyone what, what what's going yeah, on. Yeah, we were in all these communications classes together. And then I was just telling you that I do absolutely nothing that I spent four years studying for and am drowning in loans for. But no, I'm a a project manager at an IT consulting firm based out of New York. So I am currently at my parents in Philly, but... As of next week, I will be back in New York. So exciting stuff coming up. Oh, in the city that never sleeps. And you know, I'm like from right outside of Manhattan. And so, you know, like that's just like a little place. In You're my just heart. A, such so, a big apple you know, girly. <laughs> I, you know, I'm such a big apple girly. Well, Morgan, I'm like dying to drink wine with you. And so I'm just going to go right I think that. we both so had a long day and we deserve a fat glass of wine. Oh, I've had such a long day. Yeah. You know, and not that I need the excuse, but like it definitely helps. It does. Know? So eases the conscience. <laughs> it does a little bit. So this week we are drinking seven deadly. Zin's Zinfandel. It's a vibrant, sweet bouquet of raspberry jam, molasses, and cinnamon toast. Evoke the senses of carefree, youthful nights. Like, speaking of carefree, youthful nights, like, we were just talking about how, like, we're both a couple, like, old people now, and, like, you know, a couple years ago, we were, like, a little, like, a little not so much, so. A little crazy. Yeah, a little crazy. We're a little crazy, and now I, like, like I was just saying, like, I literally get hungover just by doing this podcast, and so, like, and, like, like thinking about what I was doing, like, four years ago i was like okay you know not the same we're not the same we are not the same person we were before but this sounds wonderful liam this is a good choice i am really excited to drink this because i so this is the first the reason i picked this out was because it was the first zinfandel that i saw like on the shelf um and so i like have never done a zinfandel before on this podcast and so i'm really excited to do that um with you but i also so you said that you you had a special request you said you wanted to do red especially and so i did kind of see that you were a red girl for sure um i do need to know what kind of reds you typically go for okay you're gonna judge me because i know this podcast is all about drinking good <laughs> wine and talking about true crime but i am a boxed wine girl till okay, the end listen, listen i will never judge someone for box wine the best the one of the best um pinot noirs i've ever had was a box wine really so i will i will never judge someone for a box wine i like i like i listen first of all you get a whole lot more bang for your buck i can go yep. on a, this is this is my little this is my little um box uh soapbox i'm about to get on to about box wine because i i enjoy me some box wine i think you get a whole lot more for for your bang for your buck a whole lot more wine and it's like pretty freaking good like it's not like the best wine in the world sure but like for what you're trying to get out of it like i'm down so no judgment on this front girl. yeah i should have known that you would accept me for that um <laughs> but yeah typically Honestly, like I said, my only request was red wine because that that is like my favorite. Um, but I love Merlot, mm. um, Cab Sav. Can't go wrong with this. I honestly, I must have had Zinfandel at one point in my life, but I don't 
remember when. So this is, we're branching out. This is good. We're branching out. Yeah. And I'm also, so I, you know, I, cause I, again, like, you know, I say it like every week, I feel like, um, I'm not a huge, um, sweet girl. Um, so I am really, that's why I typically stay away from the Zinfandels, but I'm, I'm, you know, I told myself I'm going to like do a little bit. I'm going to like branch out a little bit. And so I'm glad that we're both branching out. And so let's do this. And this cinnamon toast, it sounds exciting. So I'm ready. (laughs) I am really ready. So cheers to you, Morgan. Thanks so much. Cheers, Liam. I'm nervous. Oh, I like that. Oh, okay. That cinnamon toast, though, like, it, that's a really great way to describe that. I'm definitely yeah. getting cinnamon in there for sure. And absolutely already getting carefree, youthful nights. So, <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> 10 out of 10 yeah. in my book. I also feel like that's just like us. Like, I feel like we are a carefree, youthful night. Like, we are. With a couple of with a glass of wine. Like, that's us. So, no, I, I like this. Yeah, I will say like the like ve- definitely vibrant flavors for sure. Definitely like you know fills the mouth in a really good way. The sweet bouquet of raspberry jam, I am definitely getting to. I'm gonna have to take one more sip, but it, it's definitely sweet. It's on the sweeter end of the scale for sure. Yes, it is. Um, but I will say the one thing that I haven't gotten. I'll take another sip. Is the molasses? Mm. I can't really taste that yet. I don't think I would be able to pick out what molasses tastes like you know you're absolutely right so (laughs) So, i'm like "Mm," but yeah i don't i mean i guess i don't know i also feel like those kind of flavors like those like subtle flavors that you don't really like think about like come out like the longer that it like aerates and stuff yes so we'll just like pick it up in the middle of this episode and like you know see if those if that molasses is popping yeah, you're going to be halfway through the case at the most important part, and I'm going to be like, I felt, I tasted it, the molasses, <laughs> yes. it's here. You know what? The, it's the entered the chat. might be my new favorite flavor of wine by the end of this episode, so we're going to find out about that for sure. But, Morgan, I do have to move on to our story, only because, No, I'm man, excited. Oh, man. This is, I got, <laughs> I went into a rabbit hole researching this episode, and so I'm so excited to hear what you have to say about this. And I know you know this story, too. So. I do. Yeah, well, so Morgan, this week, I am going to tell you a story that honestly, you may not even believe, but I can promise you this movie-like story is 100% true. It's all about a wife's mission to become financially independent, but how far will she go to get there? This week, Morgan, I want to tell you the story of Juliet Lynn Turner, the antifreeze killer. For our story this week, Morgan and I are going to bring you to Forsyth County, Georgia. Julia Lynn Turner, who goes by Lynn, is out for the day. Her boyfriend, Randy Thompson, who has been described as her common-law husband, is at his apartment not really feeling all that great. He had just had surgery a few days prior because he had, like, really severe allergies, so he had, like, sinus issues. And on top of that, he really thought that he had been coming down with the flu. He was throwing up, his stomach hurt, and he had, like, you know, TMI, but like really bad diarrhea. The day before Randy went to the hospital for all of this, he got an IV, was treated, and was released the same day and actually started to feel a bit better. He had a follow-up doctor's appointment that Monday, too, to look at the progress from his surgery, and the doctor said to make sure that he brings up these kinds of symptoms. When Randy went home from the hospital, Lynn took care of Randy for a bit, comforted him, even made him some jello before bed to make him feel better. 
That Monday, Randy was not at work. He was a firefighter for the county, and his friends and family were well aware of the medical problems he had been having recently and were really concerned, mostly because he was this really big, tough guy and not really prone to illness all that much. So him calling out of work was a true testament to how badly he had been feeling. On top of that, he and Lynn were having some problems in their relationship, too, so his friends and family took it upon themselves to make sure that Randy was able to get to his doctor's appointment that Monday. I will say at first, um, when you said that he had surgery for allergies, I was judging Buddy Boy a little bit, but after all those <laughs> symptoms, <laughs> that makes it a little more reasonable. So to be clear, so I think that the the um, like surgery for like was more so because his allergies had gotten so bad that he started having sinus issues, um, not because like he had been... Like it was like he wasn't like sneezing a lot. Like fair so, yeah, <laughs> with yeah. allergies so it was like a real upon thing. us. I, I should right, be judging. Right, right. So um, <laughs> no, but fair. But Liam, you said they were having some problems. What kind of problems were they having? Well, some pretty significant ones, actually. Morgan, Randy, and Lynn originally lived together, but about a year prior, Randy had decided to move out of the house. The couple had gotten really, actually, pretty violent with each other, screaming, yelling, and even getting physical at times. There were a lot of domestic assault calls to the home, and Randy even got some charges at some point for giving Lynn a bloody lip. The judge dismissed those charges with the contention that they stay far away from each other, calling their relationship, quote, far too volatile. So obviously this stay away from each other wasn't happening when she was making him jello and tucking him in at night when he was feeling sick. Yeah, that didn't last very long. They did not stay away from each other for very long. They really actually couldn't. They had a daughter together, and shortly after this order, Lynn got pregnant with their second child, a little boy. Fast forwarding back to January of 2001, Randy's friends and family were calling him to try and make sure that he got to his appointment and got the medical attention that he needed, but they were unsuccessful. They tried to get Lynn to intervene, and she told them where they could find a key. So Randy's friends went to his apartment, saw his truck still parked outside and couldn't find a key, but worried and knowing that Randy was on the other side of the door, possibly in need of help, they broke the door down and their worst fears were realized. Randy was dead on the couch, wrapped in blankets, clearly having died in his sleep in the middle of the night. Oh my God. Um, Liam, I don't know if you know this, but when they walked in and realized that he was dead, that they immediately like attributed that to like the illness and sickness and whatnot that he had been feeling or? So, kind of. I think it depends on on who and when you ask kind of thing. And we're going to get there. So, definitely hold that thought for me. Hold on. Um, But I would imagine they they probably, the initial instinct anyways, is probably something to do with the illness. Um, But, you know, I think the best tease I have is maybe like once they start trading notes. Okay. Yeah. So, help arrives for Randy, but it's far too late for that. And so, the authorities take Randy away and perform all of the tests they need to find out what had happened to him. Much later on, they estimate that Randy likely died between midnight and 2 a.m. So, as for his cause of death, though, the medical examiner determines that Randy likely died of an irregular heartbeat, or better known as a heart attack. It's always a heart attack, I feel like, in these true crime Mm -hmm. stories, until it's not. <laughs> Until it's not. Right. Yeah. I mean, look, like, so here's the thing. Like, I think, you know, from a, from like a service level perspective, right? Like, if, if he's having all these, all these issues, like his sinus issues, like he's having like these stomach problems, like they think he has a flu. So I'm sure he has, he's having breathing issues too. Um, you know, a heart attack, like, okay. Like it feels like, it feels like at some points, like if it's, if it's big enough, he's a bigger dude. Like heart attack seems like the right 
way to go. Like, like I think a, a reasonable person would assume that all that, you know, just, you know, was too much for his heart to handle. And, you know, and who knows what else was going on inside their head, inside of his body too, right? At least from their perspective. Yeah, and it sounds like so many people knew of all these issues he was having, so yeah. it probably wasn't a big jump at all to to assume that that's, that's what happened. Yeah, right. Well, all while Randy's friends and family, including Lynn, were mourning the sudden and bizarre death of Randy, so was the town. Randy had an extensive history as a Forsyth County first responder. He first got into the line of work as a volunteer firefighter, then a county sheriff's deputy, and now as a county firefighter. So he gets the full treatment at his funeral. The processional, the fly over a 21-gun salute, the works. And especially in the South, word about a fallen hero does not go unnoticed as the talk of the town. Word quickly spread throughout the area about the Forsyth County firefighter who unusually grew ill and died in the middle of the night, right when he seemed to be doing a whole lot better. That word traveled to the next town over in Cobb County to a man named Mike Archer, a car salesman who had a pretty unique connection to the family. Mike knows Lynn Turner fairly well, and when the details about her boyfriend's sudden death meets his ears, he shouts out, I knew it. And what he knows goes back almost 10 years, because the circumstances that he is hearing about concerning Randy seem eerily familiar of his old friend, Lynn's first husband, Glenn Turner. Back in 1995, just a county over from where Randy Thompson would die less than six years later, Lynn and her then-husband, Glenn Turner, were working through some of their biggest problems. Glenn and Lynn met at a party one night. Glenn was a Cobb County police officer, and Lynn was dating another officer on the force in 1991. Lynn worked as a 911 operator in the county and has a fairly long and lengthy career in law enforcement. Lynn worked for intern with or volunteered for several different agencies between Georgia and Tennessee and tried to, at one point, become a Cobb County police officer herself, but failed the psychological exam. Now, it's not clear why she failed exactly, but we do know why she did not fail, even though she probably should have. She didn't fail because of any drug-related issues, though not because she didn't have any, but because she failed to report them. Lynn was adopted at a young age after her birth mother gave her up for adoption. Later on, as she grew up, her adoptive parents divorced and her adoptive mother took custody and remarried. But Lynn and this stepfather did not get along at all. She wanted to be independent and he wanted to be more controlling. Probably a lot of issues, you know, trusting parental figures pretty easy to understand, I would imagine, anyways. But as she got into her teenage years, those issues started materializing through drugs, and she was admitted to a substance abuse clinic in Atlanta when she was 17. 17, wow. Um, yeah. I've heard in a couple other, like, true crime podcasts, they always say, like, you feel bad for the kid for, like, not a great upbringing or maybe mm-hmm. just, like, not great circumstances, but that doesn't really forgive, potentially, what she might do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, of course... Yeah, of course doesn't, I mean, definitely doesn't forgive it. Like, absolutely not. I just think, I do think it's, like, important to understand, like, she, like, had, like, showed problems, like, very early on. Early on, yeah. And so, you know, it does, it does make me, I mean, clearly, like, she got the help, like, and I also always say, too, like, you know, um, like, whenever these types of situations pop up, like, for example, with the Emma Walker case, you know, episode 20, um, she, you know, like, um, Riley, you know, was having all these issues, and it just seemed like, you know, at some point, like, someone should have intervened and, like, did something that didn't happen in that case, and so... Um, you know, like, she got 
what she, you know, the help that she needed pretty early on. And so it makes me wonder, like, if, like, obviously there was something else, you know, up there that, like, definitely wasn't, that wasn't shaking loose. Definitely. (laughs) Yeah. She had access to all the resources that so many people don't have. So. Yeah. And, like, grew up, like, again, like, in a very, like, in a wealthy household, like, in a wealthy part of the country, like, had everything at her disposal for the most part. So, yeah. Well, Lynn and Glenn's marital issues didn't appear to have anything to do directly with Lynn's history of substance abuse. It was mostly related to money. Lynn was working as a 911 operator until she married Glenn, which is when she left the job not long after. Because the family was constantly strapped for cash, Glenn also took on some shifts at a local gas station to pay the bills and to keep up with their extravagant lifestyle. And I also, like, even read that, like, it's possible that Lynn might have even, like, owned that gas station somehow. So, like, again, I I saw that, like, in a fleeting reference, but, like, so take that as well. But Lynn was a spender, and, like, big time. And this was one of the biggest problems they had been having since they got married. Lynn was always spending more and more money, and Glenn was having a heck of a time keeping up with her expenses. And the signs of her prodigality did start pretty much right away. The week after Lynn and Glenn tied the knot in August of 1993, Lynn went out and bought two Camaros without Glenn even knowing about them until, like, she brought them home. Despite this prolific spending, Glenn was still head over heels in love with Lynn, even though his family didn't really understand why. They saw trouble between Lynn and Glenn right off the bat, and it was mostly because they had a pretty decent idea of what Lynn was really marrying Glenn for, which was to use and abuse his finances. Go off, queen. Um, No, as a chronic (laughs) spender myself, like, I don't even think I would consider buying two cars without your new husband knowing about it. But quickly, Liam, I want to jump back up to the 911 Mm -hmm. operator job. I feel like that would be, and maybe it's just because, like, I have a morbid fascination with true crime, which is why we're here, and I'm just a nosy person. I feel like that would be (laughs) such an interesting job to have. Yeah. Oh, you know what? So... (laughs) You know what's funny is so like every time I like like listen to those like nine one one calls on that I play on this on this podcast I'm always like hmm, like maybe I should like you know really change my career and like, yeah, you know right? be a telecommunicator. Do you want to do but, it like, together? <laughs> also, like I think I might, but like then I like quickly talk myself out of it because I'm like okay, like someone would call and like be freaking out and I would just be like and I would just absolutely collapse. Like, yeah. I don't <laughs> so, but I do think I do think it would be I think I like I I think those people have like really fascinating stories, but like also like again we're going to get into like how much Zeppelin is like much later on but like you know like there's no doubt in my mind that she was just like like doing it because she had like some weird fascination with that clearly i mean obviously like she was so into being alone i mean she was like she, like she worked for all these different agencies like around the it, area. it sounds like it was her like sole right. like right. purpose in life was to be involved in all of these different like entities yeah. within like law enforcement and right. everything right yeah she wanted the end she wanted the end on these like on these you know in this like very niche na- lifestyle um and you know god knows for what reason but like you know she wanted and it, she so. certainly found herself in it so <laughs> oh and she certainly found herself in it yeah for sure um but i do agree i do think that would be you know and i also have a lot of respect for those people because those are like you know a lot of times like the unsung heroes of the one of the law enforcement 100%. agencies so for the next year and a half 
half, Glenn and Lynn, lived a pretty complicated married life. They were on and off fighting intensely, but also on and off in love with each other. But as March 1995 approached, things took a turn for the worse. The on and off fighting turned into fighting almost exclusively. Glenn slept most nights in the guest bedroom. Glenn had caught on that Lynn was likely not being 100% faithful. In fact, he may or may not have known that the person she was sleeping with would be indeed Randy Thompson. Randy's family later told police that they, including Randy, thought that Lynn was divorced and that they had no idea that she was still living with Glenn when Randy had met her. Just days before March 3rd, 1995, Glenn told friends that he was ready to leave Lynn and also said something that just wasn't right about her. He made a pretty morbid comment in hindsight. He said to his friends that if he had died, then Lynn probably had something to do with it. I'm just putting it out here now. I hope I never have to like mutter those words about my future husband <laughs> yeah. to anyone. <laughs> like that is so terrifying. Yeah, like red flag of the century. And you hear it so yeah. often where it's like, if, if something happens to me, like look into this person. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't even think I have someone that cares enough about me that wants to see me dead and this <laughs> yeah. and Chico over here. <laughs> <laughs> well, and there's like, I guess like that's like, can't be a coincidence. You know what I mean? Like again, like we're about to get to like what happened, but like, you know, it's just. Like, what we know now, it's like, it's like, you know, two plus two equals four. Well, truly. (laughs) And I feel like it's a fair assumption to say that it's not the guys that she's picking in the relationships that it's the problem. Like, the the tumultual, like, relationships, like, they're they're with every guy, it seems like, that she has to the point of, like, physical violence for each one and just, like, screaming and not... Yeah, it's it's yeah. crazy. Yeah, common thread, for sure. Common thread, right? Yeah, well, not long after this conversation begins a series of events that I'm sure will give you this really bizarre kind of reverse deja vu. Glenn felt like he had come down with the flu. He had been vomiting uncontrollably and had a really bad stomach ache, too. As it only got worse, Glenn ended up checking into a hospital on March 2nd. They hooked him up to an IV, treated him, and sent him home that night when he said that he started feeling better. Well, that night, Lynn says Glenn was acting really strange. She said she woke up in the middle of the night to Glenn talking to himself and standing near the balcony saying he was going to jump off of it because he thought that he could fly. Then Glenn walked down to the basement and Lynn followed him to see him pick up a can of gasoline and try to drink it, but she stopped him. Eventually, Glenn went to sleep in the guest room. The next morning, Lynn said Glenn felt a bit better, felt a little bit more like himself, but, and so in the kitchen, Lynn made him some breakfast, gave him a cup of jello, and sent him back to bed before running out to go run some errands around 9.30 that morning. Just five hours later, Lynn returned home to an eerie quiet that had set over their house. She went to go check on Glenn, and he wasn't moving at all. He had died in the guest bed, wrapped in blankets, clearly in the middle of his sleep. And you want to know what the medical examiner ruled his death, Morgan? Let me guess. Heart attack? Yep. The medical examiner says almost word for word the same determination that a different M.E. would rule on Randy's death six years later. Irregular heartbeats or a heart attack. This is just 
crazy to me. I'm almost at a loss for words. Um, and I also, I have just such an intense dislike for jello that I think that's kind of off putting me as well right now. <laughs> um, like if anyone, especially my wife that I said, if I died, she did it, gave me jello. Like the red flags are <laughs> yeah. everywhere. Liam. <laughs> like my thing is so like, like you're like, I'm glad you said that because my thing is like, I feel like whenever we have these, like, like, like those like serial killer documentaries and they like show them like, like buying like paper towels and like trash bags, like in the store, like, why are they always wearing, like, like caps and sunglasses inside? And so that's my thing now, is that, like, whenever I'm walking around the store and I see someone with a, with a ball cap and glasses and sunglasses on, like, you're, you're looking at them. Like, yep. I'm calling the cops. <laughs> I'm looking at you. Like, I'm following you home. Like, we're, like, we're getting to the bottom of you. And so I'm adding that to my list. I'm like, never. No like, jello. Like, never. Like, no jello. If you, if you make me jello, you're trying to kill yep, me. Yep, absolutely. So, but I also th- think, too, like, you know, the, the jello is such a weird thing because it's like, you're not feeling well, so you make them jello. Like, I, I was going to say, what like, happened like, to chicken noodle soup or like something like yeah, that? Like, why right, Jello? Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, my mom used to make me like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and chicken noodle soup. And like, that's what would make me feel better. And like, you're making them Jello. Yeah, Jello is not my comfort food. So, yeah, yeah, definitely not. No one's comfort food. Like, get out of here with that, Lynn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the family refuses to accept the medical examiner's ruling and started asking questions about this greenish fluid that was found inside of his stomach. But the medical examiner said it was not standard procedure to do any further tests unless there was evidence of foul play involved because further testing was just simply too expensive. And I'm just like hoping that later down the line you're not going to tell me that he gets like cremated or something like that. We, we'll we get there. We'll get there. Okay. I'm not, I'm, all your questions <laughs> will be answered, Morgan. How about that? So I have no doubt, Leo. <laughs> yeah. Well, four days after Glenn's death, Lynn moves in with Brandy Thompson in order to comfort her somehow. And the two just end up moving on with their lives. Brandy's family, however, would eventually say that they weren't even aware that Glenn had even died. And again, they thought that Lynn had been long divorced. Fast forward back to 2001, and now we're in this really interesting and familiar place. A seemingly grieving woman who is burying her significant other after they died under almost the exact same set of circumstances. Healthy men who fell ill with flu-like symptoms and who both had died seemingly in their sleep from heart attacks. Glenn's friends and family were not going to let this pass as a bizarre coincidence, though. They end up calling the Georgia Bureau of Investigation and lay this out to them, and almost immediately their interests are piqued. Meanwhile, Lynn pretty much vanishes from Randy's family's lives, and the only one who, you know, from Randy's family who ends up hearing from Lynn after his funeral was when Lynn called Randy's sister about a life insurance payout that was sent to Randy's sister instead. Lynn sends her a signed affidavit saying a witness vouched that that benefit was intended for Lynn, that she was the actual beneficiary of that benefit. Randy's sister refuses to give it to her, though, and a judge eventually has to intervene and rules that they will have to split the money in half. Liam, it always just blows my mind in cases like this where it's like, okay, maybe she thinks that she got away with it the first time, but like doing it completely identical, like, does she not think people aren't going to notice? Yeah. And like, 
and, and you're that worried about the money, like people are yeah. gonna take note, Lynn. Yeah, the money is like the money, like that's like the only time that you reach out to like your grieving, like your ex boyfriend's grieving family. Like it's just like ask them for money. Like that seems weird. Like the grieving process lasted for like 20, 20, 20 seconds, and then all of a sudden she was like on to like, hey, where's the money? Like, you know, like I don't know, red flag, red flag, red flags. We're yeah. seeing a lot of those. Oh, yeah. Well, this was all clearly starting to look very fishy to the family and the GBI too even. The similarities and Lynn's behavior was just too much for them to overlook and so police make an announcement that would blow everything out of the water. Hi Crime Over Wine listeners, I'm Rachel. And I'm Heather. Now we know how much you love Liam's expert research and professionalism. Over at the Wine Time Podcast, you'll get the same expert research, but definitely a lot less professionalism. We cover all things mom, including mom crimes. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. So, Morgan, how's your wine tasting? Liam, it's really good. I don't know if you could hear in the background, but I've I've poured myself <laughs> a little bit more about twice now. So, well, that, I did clock that, um, and that was why I was like, oh, like there she goes, and I, oh, I love that about you. So, <laughs> the people that know me that are listening to this, they know. Yeah, I I have a notoriously heavy pour, and I love my red wine. So this and is that's, and we love you even more for it. You know, the, <laughs> the larger the glass, the larger the heart. I like strongly believe that. My sister always says because my grandma yells at us for pouring like too much wine in at one time and my sister's <laughs> like well if it can fit it in the glass why wouldn't they right. make it that big like it's that's there for saying. a reason that's what i'm saying like there's so much in here and yet i'm only supposed to pour up to, to the bend like yeah no thank you like cheating it does yeah no thank you <laughs> yeah well i'm really liking this and i do think uh, again like it's definitely sweeter the more i taste it for sure um and like i am i have not gotten the molasses yet but maybe by the end of the episode i'll, I'll get the molasses a little bit of the molasses but um but yeah i am you know it's really it's really crazy like the like um, like these types of wines who are able to blend these like all these flavors together like so like um like intricately because a lot of times I feel like you can pick out the flavors. I'm like like not having a hard time, but it just like it like complements each other so well that it just it just tastes it all kind of combines together and it just tastes really nicely. No, I almost feel like you saying you're having a hard time is like a compliment to the wine because mm-hmm. it all just like goes very well oh, yeah. together and it's not like yeah. anything jumping out at us. No, I'm I'm really yeah. enjoying this. I'm glad you picked this. Yeah, I feel like it would like like you said like in a very good way because I feel like the like it all just like comes together in a very nice glass. And so that's like it's definitely it's definitely a compliment for sure. So, yeah, I'm really I'm really into this. So, good job um Seven Deadly Zins. Good job. Very good job. And I feel like yeah. the name is so fitting for like us drinking yeah. it on this podcast. Oh yeah, yeah. I was I did see this and I was like, oh, like we're talking about like murder and like we can't pass up this opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So okay, Morgan, what do you say we get back right back into into the story because we're in the thick of it. I'm on edge of my seat, Liam. Let's go. Okay, let's do it. Well, don't fall off. So, police announced in June 2001, just three months after Randy died, that they are reopening the investigation into Glenn's death. Liam, I have a feeling you're going to say what you've said before, that we'll we'll get there. But, like, where are the kids during all this? Yeah, we're building something. Oh, that's... Well, so this is... Yeah, that's actually a really great point. So, 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 um, Lynn has... Just to remind everybody, Lynn has two kids with Randy, right? She doesn't have any kids, as far as I'm aware, with Glenn. Um, And they're young at this point so this is 2001 um and so yeah so this so they are hold on i'm trying to do math really fast um they are hold on now 
I'm gonna get there. The young boy is only like a year old, if that, and so the girl must have only been like four or five at this point. So yeah, that is that is con that's concerning for sure. And I do think I think like that's definitely worthy of a of a question. But I I just don't simply know the answer to. I mean, I know I know that they're I know that they're with Lynn. At okay, point, right, because she's still the legal mother, and she's you know at this point is not um, under active investigation by any means. So well, not yet, but they reopened not it. Yet. So why did they do that? Yeah, well, it's actually nothing found in Glenn's case necessarily. It was actually something from Randy's case. The medical examiner reruns some tests on Randy's blood and urine and finds something they truly did not expect. A chemical called ethylene glycol, a chemical most commonly found in antifreeze. And I think everyone listening will know this, but that should not be found. Oh, no, no, no. In a person. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. No, this is like, like pretty much from what I've looked up, like this is exclusively found in antifreeze and like that's it. Yeah. So, so like just to be clear, because like we, because episode two, we did the Mary Research case and like in that type of situation, like there are like certain scenarios where like chemicals can be made in your body, like, um, you know, under, like again, we were talking about like smokers, like drinkers, that kind of thing. Um, in that episode, so like those chemicals are, are can be naturally created through like the like the perfect set of circumstances kind of thing. This is not one of those scenarios. I just want to be like so incredibly crystal clear. Like this is like you know simply when you put these chemicals into your body somehow. Yep. Yeah. Well, you know they also found these crystals in Randy's kidneys and that same greenish fluid in his stomach that was found in Glenn's stomach, which the medical examiner said were more telltale signs of antifreeze poisoning. That discovery sets off a chain of events in these investigations like nothing I've ever read before. Randy's manner of death is ruled a homicide by antifreeze poisoning. And Morgan, of course, I had to do a little bit of research on antifreeze poisoning, and so I'm hoping that you're able to read what I was able to find for us. Absolutely. So, symptoms of antifreeze poisoning include nausea or vomiting, convulsions and gasping for breath, and the appearance of being drunk or disoriented, referred to as ethanol glycol intoxication. It's most common in children or pets who drink the liquid because of its sweet taste, but it's odorless. The poisoning kills by causing organ failure, typically of the kidneys or the heart. Uh, yeah, Liam, I think we just listed every symptom that both of these men had yeah. prior to and after their death. This yeah. is crazy. Oh, absolutely. Right. So let's, let's go back and do that again. So nausea and or vomiting, both men said they were, that they had stomach aches and they were like, you know, vomiting, you know, pretty profusely. Um, convulsions and grasping for breath too. I think that, you know, again, that sounds like flu to me a little bit, you know, like, like could feel like that anyways. Um, and the appearance of being drunk and disoriented, that's got, that got me. Um, because if you remember, you know, Glenn was, you know, uh, Lynn was saying that Glenn was, like, thinking that he was, like, he could fly and, like, was, like, you know, really not acting himself. Like, that to me... Talking to himself, like, being yeah. erratic. Right, exactly. I mean, that, I mean, that, you know, it seems like, you know, that's you know, you drink a bunch of chemicals and like, that's kind of, you know, what you expect to act like, I would imagine anyways. Um, and then it's also, um, so the sweet taste, but, it, but odorless too. That's, that's what kind of got me because, you know, and again, we're going to get to this a little bit later on. Um, but like, I would, like if it's sweet, but you can't smell it, like you, I'd imagine you can just like put it in jello, you know, a sweet thing in jello, for example, <laughs> like, I don't know, like, it's like, like if, if that just was just a thought, you know, and like, you, yeah, just a thought. And like, you probably wouldn't be able to taste it. Right. You would, you, you know, maybe it would taste like a little off, but like, 
if it's sweet, you know, you probably don't really think anything of it. Oh, and then the, so then also too, there was the 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 organ failure. Oh yeah, the heart. The heart. <laughs> right. I mean, obviously. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, again, like I'm sure, like a lot of things, like I'm sure it's like compounded to like a lot of things that ends up affecting the heart. Um, but I mean, again, both men die by heart attacks, or at least seem like it. So, yeah. Well, you know, there there are undeniable similarities between Randy and Glenn's death, and now there are serious questions about the way Randy died. Once these similarities have been brought to police's attention, they naturally have a lot of questions about Glenn's death, too. There's only one problem, though. Glenn's been dead and buried for six years, and if they are going to draw any sort of pattern here, they need more details on Glenn's death. So they are able to petition a judge to allow them to exhume his body. You did tell me we would get back to it, um, and I'm so glad that... They could do yeah. that. Well, and also, so I feel the need to say this only because um, because I'm going back to the Stephen Smith episode, um, episode uh, 11. Um, and, you know, because um, Michelle and I were talking about how, like, how rare this is to exhume people's body. I feel like ever since then, like, I feel like I've brought up <laughs> a lot of cases where, like, you know, we've where, where the body's been exhumed. I just want to be, like, so incredibly crystal clear to, like, our listeners. Like, this is not something that happens in any case, like, at all. Like, this happens, you know, maybe, like, I, I would, like, love to, like, maybe next time, like, this comes up, maybe I'll do like a little bit of a deep dive into like just how like rare this is. But this is like really not like something that happens ever. No, and so it's crazy. They have to know something. Yeah, exactly. I feel like they have to have like a, a very concrete idea of like mm. foul play or something to yeah. want just like the emotional like turmoil that that would mm. like put the family through the cost, just yeah. like the logistics behind it. Yeah, I, I don't think this is yeah. common at all. So the fact that they were able to have a judge yeah. allow that said something. And I do think that um so the the state picked up the costs, I think. Okay. My understanding. Um because the 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 investigators petition. So it wasn't like a family thing. It was the investigators Got it. So saying that they that they need this. It's not that for the family. Um so that makes it a little bit easier, right? Um but I mean, but you're right. It's not a, it's not a cheap thing to do at all. Um luckily he was in state, so like that that helped. Um but yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy and like again, like they have to um like they have to ha- like be so confident to put this family through that kind of trauma. Um, of have of digging up the sure, loved body, yeah. literally, um, like cutting it back open. They have to be so confident that like they're going to find the answers they need from this. Otherwise, they wouldn't do it. Yeah, which is a good yeah. thing that they're not not just like willy nilly and like pulling up bodies right. to like check yeah. out. So, right, <laughs> it's a good thing that this is rare. <laughs> yeah, they're a little reassuring. Very, very sure. Um, so, really interestingly, too, they take a look back at some other deaths connected to Lynn, too. And this is a bit of a rabbit hole, so, you know, do me a favor here, Morgan, sip some wine, stay with me, because you're gonna, like, just just hold on for a second. Ready to refill again. (laughs) Yeah, as reported by Atlanta Magazine, shortly after petitioning to exhume Glenn's body, the GBI ends up expanding their investigation into two other deaths under seemingly similar circumstances. The first being a major at the Forsyth County Sheriff's Office, who died in 1999 of apparent respiratory failure. And the second was either a grandparent or a great-grandparent of Lynn's. Lynn was this major's administrative assistant at the time of his death, but it's really not clear if she had any sort of romantic or personal relationship with him at all. The reason this raised a particular alarms, though, was because the GBI was actually investigating the office for as much as $40,000 that had simply gone missing poop from the office uh, just a few months before. Ultimately, the GBI determined that the investigation 
Hoffman lacked any definitive evidence and determined that the major died of coronary artery disease, not poisoning. The GBI also subsequently dropped the investigation into the death of Lynn's relative for similar reasons. I feel like we should circle back to a point that you made earlier, Liam, about her being like so money motivated and all this like mm-hmm. f- like crazy spending and all of that. So like it almost doesn't like matter to me whether there was any sort of like romantic relationship with this major and then obviously with um there's like family whether it be the great grandparent or the grandparent or whatever like i think romantic relations aside like there might be like more of a common denominator with this like money especially that you like dangled this forty thousand dollars in front of me now i have questions well yeah i oh yeah i definitely have questions too i'm also like i didn't really see a whole lot about like what the investigation was like into her into her grandparent or great grandparent um so i think that's worth noting like i don't really know if there was like money questions around that too like so i'm sure i'm frankly i'm sure there was because otherwise why would they look there um but unless it just happened that like maybe they died under similar circumstances potentially i don't know um or maybe she like got some money unclear but point being is so like you know like going back to that major though you know he like a major has like a lot of power especially back then like those people like like really controlled the office you know what i mean like they were like like the like like a chief of staff equivalent like put it that way um to the to the sheriff um and so like you know i'm sure like his administrative assistant like knew like where the money was was placed and stuff and so like i think there's reason to look there right if you're already investigating the woman for murder a double murder um like you know, looking at somebody else who she was connected to and who died under weird circumstances, who also may have been in, in, in connected to $40,000 that had gone missing. Like, reasonable. Reasonable. Right. Yeah. No stone left unturned with this girl. Yeah. Well, yeah, for <laughs> sure. And and we're going to come back to this, like, you know, table this. You know, it might be closed, but, like, Liam still got questions. Like, Liam's <laughs> still side-eyeing this quite a bit. Um. So, like, hold on for a second. So, about a year later, after the proper tests are run, the medical examiner finds what they suspected the whole time. They found those crystals. They test them and found that they too are from ethylene glycol poisoning. Police then officially changed Glenn's manner of death from natural causes to homicide by antifreeze poisoning too, more than seven years after his death. And just five months later, Lynn Turner, Glenn's first wife, is indicted on first-degree murder charges. Damn, this is crazy. So was she charged with Randy's death too then? Well, not quite yet, but police do openly say that she is their prime suspect in that case, and the only thing I can imagine here is that they are probably wanting to try Lynn twice for murder without risking a double jeopardy defense, right? If prosecutors somehow let Lynn slip through their fingers on their first go-around, they always have Randy's death to fall back on to make sure that she goes away for something. That's a really good point. The double jeopardy stuff is just crazy. Yeah. Um, to right. me. So, yeah. Right. It's kind of like, because, because again, like, like, I mean, they have a pretty solid freaking case in my opinion, but like, um, like assuming that they don't for whatever reason, like they let it go the first time, like they, it's almost like a trial trial, right? Like they can like, you know, learn, learn what they did and then just like copy paste, you know, cause Franklin's it's a copy paste case and just like duplicate it for the second real round and like maybe they'll get a conviction. So true. And I know yeah. hindsight's twenty twenty, and like, we're looking at this like from it being in the past. Um, but mm-hmm. like at that time, why did the police think that she did? 
did it. Well, police said that Lynn, like we were talking about, was money-hungry and had found a way to financially benefit off of both of her significant other's death. In Glenn's case, it was pretty obvious, right? She was married to Glenn and was able to inherit nearly a quarter of a million dollars from Glenn's entire estate, which included $150,000 in death benefits from his life insurance policy and also some money from his police pension. In Randy's case, however, it's a bit more complicated. There were reports from Randy's friends and family that in the years leading up to his death, Randy faced significant pressure from Lynn to name her as a beneficiary of his insurance policy since they were not legally married. And Randy actually at some point ended up agreeing to this. When Randy died, Lynn was able to collect $36,000 in death benefits, and she actually thought she was going to get even more than that. She expected her share of a policy worth about $400,000, but Randy stopped making payments on that a few months back, so when he died, that policy had actually already lapsed. $400,000 is just like a crazy amount of money. Oh my god, so much money. So much money. Well, and so much money for like so much money for someone you're not even married to, like to to accumulate. Yeah, right. Because what they said they were common law married, but I assume mm. that like if he were to die, especially under suspicious circumstances, like it would be a oh, yeah. lot more difficult if she wasn't um, oh. the beneficiary yeah. of his life insurance. So she knew what she was doing. She definitely knew what she was doing. And like, but like, kind of like, you know, because to be clear, like if you like are and like convicted of murder, like you don't get a penny of that. So like, let's be clear about that. Like yeah. they, they don't give away money to murderers. <laughs> and so like, yeah, like that's really important to note too. But like, I mean, so, so, and uh, like, I don't really know a whole lot about common law marriages, but my like understanding of them is that like, it's be- it's like, if you live together with someone long enough, like you just kind of like are assumed like in like a sharing of finances and that kind of thing, like you're treated as though you're married. Um, and so I'm assuming that was the case with this, like, you know, life insurance policy and like all like this other, these other death benefits and stuff that they just like treated her as a beneficiary or like she became the beneficiary um, because they had spent so much time together. It was almost as though they were married. So I weirdly have some insight into common law marriage. My dad Ooh, is actually well, in us. a common law marriage. So he's been um, with his, I, yeah, I guess, common law wife um, for it's it varies state by state how long you have to be like living together in a relationship for mm-hmm. it to be considered common law. But I think in Pennsylvania, it's 10 years. So they had been living together for that point. So for all intents and purposes, mm. um, according to the state of Pennsylvania, they're married. So like if one were to pass or they were to split up, like they would treat it as if they did go like through and have a marriage certificate and everything. So it's a very interesting wow. concept. Yeah. Oh, that is really cool. That That is really interesting. I did, well, I'm glad to really, I brought you on because you're probably the only person I would have known <laughs> to have experience like that. So I'm so yeah. <laughs> that tracks, <laughs> doesn't it, Liam? <laughs> yeah. Right. There you go. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Well, the district attorney said that after Randy's death, she was really struggling financially. And I mean, easy to believe if you're expecting a sudden payday of a few hundred thousand dollars and get basically absolutely nothing. Plus, her wallet was gone now, right? Randy was the main breadwinner of the house, and now she has basically next to nothing. The district attorney trying her case told the Atlanta Journal-Constitution that this was a perfect recipe for another victim. She believed that Lynn may have struck again if she wasn't taken into custody when she was. The DA said, quote, the more you do something, the easier it is, and the more emboldened you feel, end quote. Well, I think that's exactly it what I was saying before like she did it the first time and she thought she got away mm-hmm. with it like she thought she executed it perfectly what's to stop this money hungry mm-hmm. like malicious potentially like 
yeah. sociopath from doing yeah. it to whoever else that could possibly give her a paycheck next. And I guess, like, like outside of, like, the fact that this would, like, mean that this, like, the, this whole situation was, like, a giant coincidence, like, I guess just, like, give her the benefit of the doubt, like, like, wouldn't you, like, like, if this is really, like, your intention to, like, do this and, like, try to get away with it, like, wouldn't you try to, like, make it a little bit different? Like, it seems like she, like, literally committed the same crime twice, like, assuming that she's guilty, right? So, like, why wouldn't, like, why wouldn't she change it? Like, why wouldn't she, like, put it in, like, the orange juice instead or something? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Yeah, like you said before, she copy and pasted literally down to the jello. So, yeah. Well, Lynn would spend the next few years of her life waiting for and preparing to trace a jury to convince them that she did not kill Glenn and Randy in cold blood. And that would prove to be a treacherous uphill battle. Lynn would face separate trials for both Glenn and Randy's murders. The first came in May of 2004, when the prosecution can finally start laying out their case for how they believe Lynn poisoned her husband, Glenn, over several days by slipping this deadly chemical into his sweet tea, his food, and possibly one final and fatal dosage into the jello that she fed him right before he died. That trial, though, had received considerable publicity at this point, so it was moved to Houston, County, just south of Macon. Lynn was not charged with Randy's death at this point, but again, she was considered a suspect. But despite objections from Lynn's attorneys, the judge allowed the prosecution to present evidence about Randy's death, too, which the defense says was really the moment when they believe that they lost this case. And, you know, Morgan, too, there is this, like, really crazy story that happens during the trial, and I just have to tell you about it. So, you know, grab that glass and like make sure you have it handy because so the prosecution calls a former animal shelter worker to the stand and she testifies that in april of 1999 so four years after glenn died but about two years before randy had died lynn went to the shelter and asked the worker what kind of effect antifreeze would have on cats. Lynn said it was because she had this stray cat in her neighborhood that was bothering her, but when the worker kind of, like, shakes off this question and says, like, I don't really know, Lynn asks about the euthanasia process for cats and asks if the chemical that is used to euthanize cats is available for purchase for the general public. All right, Liam, as a fellow animal lover, um, I think I can speak for both of us in this statement. I didn't like this lady before, I really don't like her now. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So, okay, so I have a couple of thoughts about, about like, this, like, interaction, too. So, like, but, like, I also really want to hear just, like, your thoughts about, like, her asking about this. So you, you go first, and then I'll go. Uh, I don't know. I feel like it's so odd to, um, mm-hmm. like, start with the fact that antifreeze would have on cats instead of the euthanasia process, yeah. because wouldn't that be, like, the logical first place to start when you go yeah. to a shelter? Like, right. Like, Why let's antifreeze? start with that, and then, depending on the answer, go into the antifreeze. But, yeah, that, I, I don't, uh, uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I don't have a good feeling. I don't have warm and fuzzies. <laughs> Me neither. Well, so I have a couple thoughts. So, here, so I'll, I'll yes, talk about this it. one, because I, like, I, yeah, like, sure, like, cats different than humans like sure so like if you like you know that doesn't necessarily like mean one plus one equals two i guess kind of thing but like kind of like so i guess like on that front like sure but it's also i think says a lot about her as a person that she's like willing to 
like poison yes. a cat by yep. antifreeze just because it's like bothering her kind of like it's not like it's like like killing like things like 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 you know like it's not like a poisoning a danger to like anybody you know what i mean so like that feels kind of weird but also so did you notice what year this all happened in so 1999 yeah right so for, so again so right right in the middle of so it was four years after glenn died so like obviously she's not asking about mm-hmm. him like maybe she's asking about randy but where my mind went though morgan it was going back to 1999 that major in the oh. County sheriff's office you know yep. when he died he died in 1999 and so like sure like they said that this was unrelated like not enough evidence blah blah, blah whatever but still, I mean, like, why, like, it's, like, too early for Randy, too late for Glenn. Like, you know, I'm just saying that, like, you know, it feels like a weird coincidence that, like, that's the year that he that he died. And, like, she, and, like, police think that she may possibly have something to do with that, too. And that's why you're the host of this podcast, because so. you picked up on that, and I didn't, my mind didn't even go there. That is crazy. Oh, that's... I saw this. I saw this. Like there was like one article about this, about this like um this testimony, and like that's when like my my rabbit hole just started. <laughs> I was like, I need to find this guy's obit. Like I need to do the whole thing. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna get this woman locked up <laughs> for this too, but and for the cats, justice for the cats that she may or may not have, and, and just hit with the antifreeze. <laughs> right. I'm like. I'm like, listen, like, if my dogs are just, like, wandering around and you try to kill them with antifreeze, like, I, like, will, I'll come Absolutely. after you and, like, I'll be justified Absolutely. for it. So, yeah, I'm not happy with her at all for even asking about that. But, you know, clearly she has, like, you know, other things to worry about, I guess. But whatever. So, um, at the end of the trial, the jury deliberated for five hours. And when they came back, they saw the evidence clear as day that Lynn Turner poisoned at the very least her husband of almost two years as a way to profit financially off of his death. She was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. So I know that like the length of time that the jury deliberates isn't like necessarily like a hundred percent correlated to what the verdict's going to be, but the five hours seems very mm. telling to me. Like they probably went in all yeah. kind of having their thoughts, and then they just had to go through like the semantics of reviewing everything yeah. that. Um, I'm sure there's yeah. a lot of evidence. Yeah, to go through. but like yeah. five hours—that's not a lot yeah. of time. Not for a murder charge. Yeah, no. and I guess like like I could see like maybe like that amount of time like being like trying to win over like one or two sure like, um, jurors like. And I'm trying to think back to like Alex Mur or Alec Murdoch because I think that his like they deliberated for not that long either. Um, but I did read that they had to like put that they had to win over like one or two jurors in that in that one too. Oh, that's so interesting. And also another thing to point out um that you mentioned a little bit earlier was that they did move this to a different county, so she couldn't even argue that mm-hmm. this is like right. like a tainted right. jury or Imagine. whatever. Like they yeah. moved it for that very reason and they still only needed five hours. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, very good point. Immediately after this verdict, the prosecution tells reporters that they will be impaneling a grand jury to indict Lynn Turner for Randy Thompson's murder, too. That trial was moved to Whitfield County, Georgia, just south of Chattanooga, Tennessee. The prosecution's argument was really similar to the argument they laid out in Glenn's trial, that Lynn wanted to profit financially from Randy's death, and that she took the chemical, slipped it into Randy's food, and when he became severely ill, put the 
the final dose into his jello, which killed him just a few hours later. This time, however, the prosecution is going after the death penalty, and if she received this sentence, she would become only the second woman on Georgia's death row in its history. The defense responds, saying that Randy has had a long and complicated medical history. They presented evidence that Randy became ill in 1997 and again in 1999 after taking too much pain medication. And not that I consider myself like well-versed in poisoning at all, but I do find it interesting that it it seems like it only took a couple days and then like the one final dose Mm -hmm. to to be so lethal. That's kind of crazy to me. It is kind of crazy. And so I I thought that too, because my thought was on that front, like maybe she did just like do like a little bit, um, like just enough. Like she probably did a good amount of research, like figure out what, like, like clearly did more than like ask the woman at the animal shelter, like what to do about this. (laughs) And so like, you know, probably did just a little bit in the food, like, and like spread it out enough to like make him sick. Right. And then like that way, like everyone knew that he was sick, like really ill, didn't know what to do, like knew that he went to the hospital to like make a good argument for like when he finally died. You know, like, you know, that was, like, whenever, like, that must have been whenever she gave, like, this final, like, fatal dose. Um, And so, like, you know, he just looked like he died of natural causes or, like, died of this illness. Um, And, like, no one would even really think twice about it, I guess. Like, that, that that's, I mean, again, not a murderer, but, like, I probably sound <laughs> like I'd, like, know a lot more about poisoning than I should. But, like, that, that's, that, that, that was my assumption here. Like, that feels like, that feels like the right answer to that. No, that makes so much sense because if she's just, like, slowly putting it in, then they have all of those symptoms that she can kind of, like, refer back to. And then the people, like, people know about it and everything, so. Yeah. Well, but then also, too, I have to go back a little bit only because do you, like, did you notice just now, like, you know, what year, like, they said that you know that randy just like weirdly got sick because of his pain medication Mm. 1999 Mm -hmm. and like again like that was the year that she that like she went to this like shelter so like maybe she was trying to kill him then yeah you know i mean just an idea like i don't know just like if if like this was the evidence that they presented that like he became really sick you know after like taking too much pain medication like are we sure about that like we sure it was pain meds like just just a thought like i don't know pain meds antifreeze like it could could be either could look the same could look same. i mean i would imagine though like those kind of like you know like um like like uh close to overdose you know symptoms are probably about the same right because like what is like what is poisoning except for being like overdosing on a chemical so i would think it probably would be be about the same so like maybe you don't really know the difference no i i totally agree well none of those arguments from her defense team worked however lynn turner was found guilty again on March 27th, 2007. The jury did not, however, sentence her to death. They instead sentenced her to a second life sentence, again, without the possibility of parole. I kind of get that, though. I feel like if she already has been sentenced to a life sentence, and then you don't really want to be that person that's responsible for putting someone on death row. Like, if you know that no matter what, she's already going to be in jail for the rest of her Mm -hmm. life. Like, I kind of understand the jury's yeah. reasoning on that. And two, I think noted, like, a lot of times, like, in those types of situations, like, when you're, like, found guilty of one crime and then face trial for another crime and then sentenced for that, like, um, you, a lot of times you have to, like, serve out that first sentence mm. um, mm-hmm. before, and, like, obviously, like, you know, once she serves out the sentence, like, 
she's dad of so, life you know, yeah <laughs> you know right so so uh, like and sometimes they can like you know um they can like one supersedes the other kind of thing but like um like judges can really do whatever like they want in that type of situation but yeah but too i mean i always think about that because because i was talking about that with um with my friends rachel and heather um darlie Ruti- the darlie routier case like we were talking about like would you ever be able to and so i'm going to pose this question to you morgan would you ev- ever be able to sentence someone to death okay so it's so funny i feel like you picked the perfect case for me so i did yeah. my senior sem research paper on Darlie Routier or however I'm like, yeah, what? I'm like, am I butchering her name right now? And I wrote a whole paper on her. Darlie, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, no, I think you said it right. I don't know. I genuinely don't. And her case is so tricky because if you like do a deep dive listeners into that, it's just absolutely wild. And I was going to mention this yeah. earlier and I didn't. Y'all listen to episode 12. But if I were ever one of my weirdly, one of my biggest like fears in life is being falsely accused of a crime. And so I, like, tell (laughs) anyone that will listen, I'm like, I would do a trial by judge over a jury trial any day, and it's because of her case. They literally – there's a juror that, like, on camera, like, on oath says that, like, she – thought that she couldn't trust her from the beginning because she had fake boobs. Mm, Like, jurors sentence with – their prejudice with their hearts, with their oh, emotions, yeah. where a judge has to oh, yeah. look at the law and and the case that's being provided, right? And it has to be without a doubt, like guilty, like there's nothing mm. else um where I think a jury could probably sway either way. Yeah. So I don't know. That's such a loaded question, Liam. I, I know the cop-out answer is it would have to be like a case by case thing, but like it would, yeah, right? Fair. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, th- I mean, I don't think I would be able to sentence Lynn to death. I feel like it would have to be like the most gruesome crime. Like I feel like the, like the Israel Keys or the, yes. like, the death, like the Ted Bundys of the world. Like, yeah, I would definitely be able to do that. And there has to be DNA. There has to be some oh, like yeah. irrefutable like evidence, not just oh, like, yeah. oh, she copy and pasted the way yeah. she killed her yeah. husband. Right, like, right. I like this type of situation. I definitely, I don't, I'm, I don't, I would never be able to see myself getting there but i also since you brought up darlie routine because you know you know i'm obsessed with that case like i need to know like what like are you on team guilty or are you on team innocent for darlie routine i think it changes legitimately every day and like when i tell you (laughs) i like spiraled writing that paper i think i get so like focused on just the absolute like injustice of her trial like her trial was oh yeah horrible regardless of if she Mm -hmm. did it or not absolutely horrible yeah no major problems Uh, I don't know. I go back and forth, but like, wait, what did you write your paper on though? With that, um, so it was for I forgot. It was one of the senior comm classes, and it was just like how the media portrays women, especially when they're like mm. the villain of Ooh, the story, okay. um, and kind of what like is hyperfixated on in terms of like headlines. So I pulled all of the headlines of that case and kind of just like broke it down into which ones included anything about her appearance, anything like about her mm. being blonde, big boobs, like jewelry, the right. whole nine mm. yards and what just had the facts of the case. And there were hardly any, like it was just so, Man. yeah, it was crazy. Man, I should have had you on that. We should have brought you on. For I that know. Episode. Right. I'm, I'm like, let me share really my paper with you. <laughs> <laughs> I could be a source for oh that podcast God. episode. <laughs> oh my God. Literally. I feel okay. Well, like we're going to need to like conference you in with Rachel and I'm sure like Rachel and Heather are listening right now. And like, we're going to have to like, no, I want to hear their thoughts because I have thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, we all have, well, all three of us have a lot of thoughts about, about that case. So we're going to have to, we're going to have to talk about that. It's a doozy. 
It is a doozy. Uh, yeah, it's a doozy. Well, Lynn maintained her innocence the whole time. Her legal team had worked on and lost an appeal on her conviction for Glenn's murder and was working through the appeals process on Lynn's conviction for Randy's murder in August of 2010. Lynn's mother and her two kids came to visit her in prison, and her mother said she was in pretty rough shape. She said she seemed fine physically, but emotionally was a different story. Lynn's mother told CBS News that she was really concerned for her daughter's safety because right as she was leaving, Lynn said to her mom, quote, Mama, these girls are going to get me. I just know they will, end quote. The next day, Lynn was found dead in her prison cell, wrapped in blankets, seemingly in her sleep just as her husband and boyfriend were found 15 and 9 years before, respectively. The medical examiner said there was no evidence of foul play and ruled it an apparent suicide by overdose of prescription blood pressure medications. Liam, I know we're on FaceTime, but you can't see my face right now, and I really wish you could. <laughs> my jaw is, like, on the floor. Yeah. Like, yeah. What an ending. Poetic huh? justice? Um, A little bit, right? I mean, because, like, an overdose of these pills and, like, of, like, a chemical, basically, when, like, yeah. you're accused of, like, killing your these people and, like, you die in your sleep, like, yeah, seriously, poetic justice. And I don't know why, but the, the part about wrapped in blankets, just, like, the two men were, yeah. that just, like, sends chills down my spine. I don't know. Oh, my God. Yeah, man, yeah, this is... Yeah, I, again, this is like another part where I was, when I saw this, I was like, wait a darn minute. I was like, that cannot be the end of this. But like, I mean, I don't know. It's also like, so like, sure, I'm sure she was getting it a lot in jail at this point. But like, she'd been in jail for like three years at this point. Yeah. So like, I don't know. I mean, I could see where it just like, you know, all gets to her all at once. And like, you know, maybe it's the end. But I also frankly could see a world where like it was you know done to her again because like jails like like they don't mess around scary place right? yeah yeah scary place and so i could see a world i guess where they were like oh like you want to kill your husbands like here you go and like you know slipping and like you know force feeding it to her so like i don't know i don't know just i don't know i just, i don't mean to take away too much of this because like too much from that because like it's still like a weird ending and like no one really wins in this situation you know at the end of the story unfortunately but like that's kind of where we're at right no we could spiral on that for sure and i know that prison like undoubtedly has their own like um, like justice system, if you will. Yeah. Right. So like, yeah. that's totally a viable option. But for mm-hmm. me, just from like, at, like the kind of like base, like knowledge I had of this case prior to, and then all the details you provided, it seems like she just finally accepted defeat. And she was like, I'm mm. never going to get this money. That was the main reason I did this. Like yeah. I'm caught. I have two life sentences. Like what are the chances I get out? I'd rather yeah. not spend the rest of my life in prison where potentially I could be like harassed and, whatever by the other yeah. inmates i i feel like maybe she was just like nope this is <laughs> this is yeah. it for me i don't know yeah i mean like i feel like you probably are right like i feel like it does kind of seem a little hopeless at a certain point right i mean especially like again like putting like like there's no doubt in my mind that she's guilty but like let's say that she's innocent for whatever reason like i could see a world where it's just like like i don't see like the like the end of this at all and so like i guess 
like you know like i lost all these appeals you know like what like what else am i gonna do with with this like live behind these bars for the rest of my life like i've seen so many times like because because i actually like you know because um because the um the uh michael peterson the kathleen peterson michael peterson case um just mm-hmm. an episode of my podcast just came out um this morning as uh, the recording of this episode um and so um you know i've been really really diving back into that case because that's like such a fascinating case um and so i've been watching the the docuseries on netflix um and he like had this like really kind of powerful you know moment where he was just like you know like again because he he you know said he was innocent like he still says he's innocent to this day um and he just had this like really powerful moment where he was just like am i just gonna spend the rest of my life back here and you know i still didn't know what the heck to make of that case um and so like you know just i just put myself in histories of like him being innocent and it's like like what happens when you're like put behind bars and like you'd really like you know that you didn't do anything obviously but like no one else believes you, you know. That's like, that's the thing that no yeah. one else believes you. I think right. would be the hardest pill to swallow in, in an oh instance gosh, like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like kind of what we were talking about before, like my like my because like, my biggest fear too is like being in the wrong place at the wrong time, and like yep. my DNA yep. is like in a future crime scene. <laughs> like that's my biggest fear. Like I don't we are the same person, Liam. It's, it's been confirmed tonight. <laughs> but yeah, but like I mean seriously though, because because if you're in that situation, because and a lot of times too, um, you know, like the like they want to just you know there's so much pressure on these types of cases like they just want to put someone behind bars like you know your dna being at a crime scene like just feels like the right answer and so i don't know again different different rabbit hole different podcasts but man like there's just so much to like it's it just it, like again just like like uh, i think she's she's guilty like in my book like i like there's no doubt in my mind on that front um but like you know if it, you know with like this one like maybe maybe like the like 0.5 percent of my brain that like says that she might be innocent um you know i just like it go that goes to my point of like that must just be so heavy to deal with so heavy jail. so i don't know i guess i kind of like give her that only because of like you know what we kind of know how kind of happened to her i guess but i don't know that's just my thought well, um, yeah. that, that was a lot, Liam. Yeah, we both had to take a deep breath after that. Yeah. Oh man. Oh man. It was right. Yeah. Well, I'm just going to say, you know, I'll just like, like move on from that and say, you know, Morgan, that is, you know, kind of a morbid way to end the podcast, but I am going to say that's all we have for you this week. Um, so thank you so much for coming on. It was great to see you. Liam, thank you so much for having me. This is literally like the highlight of my month. This is so fun. <laughs> Combining like three so of my favorite things, you, true crime and red wine. Oh like gosh, it's I been perfect. Listen, <laughs> I like, that's, like, listen, I love any, any, any human being that, you know, will just like sit around, talk about a crime case and just like drink some wine together. That's my kind oh, of girly. Yep. So absolutely love that well tell everyone where they can find you and your work online if you'd like um i would actually like to plug one thing so um in the like depths of covid my friend maggie and i we made a book review instagram liam i don't even know if you follow this but i definitely don't i want to follow you don't okay you'll follow it right after this it's bitches underscore who underscore read um, and we just read the books that we're reading and then we do, um, a basis based off of five stars a review. Um, so it has kind of just like a short review from either one of us or both of us. Um, a little, yeah, we kind of have a good amount of followers, right? Liam, I see you. <laughs> you have like 4,000 followers. Yeah, it was I my am, passion like, so project during COVID. I so. love this. I love this idea. I did not know you did this. And I am shocked, but also, oh, also, like, you did a lot of books that I like actually really want to, that are on my list too. Phenomenal. Okay, wait. So I'm, so say it again. So it's, it's at underscore bitches underscore who underscore read. And yeah, as on, on Instagram. And that is, 
That is such a great idea. And I cannot wait to read all about this. Well, we are definitely going to tag it. So if you if you are listening to this podcast and are trying to and can't couldn't keep up with what I just said about the handle, go to our Instagram page because I will definitely be tagging that Instagram page in this in our post about this um about this episode. So go back and watch that. Um and then you'll find all of Morgan's book reviews because I think that's a great idea and I love that so much. Thank you, Liam. But that's really the only exciting thing about me that I have to <laughs> plug. So yeah, well, I love <laughs> you that. doing that is just wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love that. I'm glad you did that, and we'll definitely have a shout about that for sure because i love that idea well thank you again so much for coming on morgan and thank you all so much for listening we are going to put all of our sources on our website so you can read everything for yourself and probably come up with a few theories too and if you are enjoying this podcast and are just wondering how you can tell anyone and everyone about it the best way to help people find this podcast is by leaving us a five-star review wherever you are listening right now so make sure you follow us on facebook twitter and instagram and we will see you next week for another episode of Crime Over Wine. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.